Hey, it's Brian House, and you're listening to the Work For It podcast. Our primary focus is business in the workshop. And if you want us to see and discuss your work, use the hashtag WFI Projects on Instagram, and we will shout you out and your projects. Did you know you can support our work for as little as $1 a month or $12 a year? Go to patreon.com forward slash work for it to find out more. $12 a year? That's like a burrito. I love burritos. What's happening, everybody? It's Brian House here for the Work For It podcast. It's Thursday morning, and you are tuning in to one of the best podcasts in the world, ranked number one across the board. According to me. According to me. According, According to, to what the, three of us. the data I have been given by the interwebs, the number one making podcast in the world. The Actually, number one that's podcast for working about working for it. Right. The number one podcast with <laughs> the word work in it. The named work for it. I mean, I'll, I'll believe. I am. I am making <laughs> all of this up. All who of needs, it. Okay. Who needs awards? Who needs accolades? Uh, and. So just so we're really super clear and transparent on what we're doing today, we have Brian Cohn of B. Cohn Knives. Hey, that's me. And we have Benjamin Butler from ButlerBuilt.us. What's happening? And we have a very good, very close friend of mine, James Fleming from Wasteland Forge, straight out of Iowa. James Fleming, what's happening, buddy? (laughs) Not much. I'm glad to be on. He's from the other Idaho. There's a lot of people out here that they're like, oh, you live in Idaho. It's really flat there, huh? I'm like, no, that's fucking Iowa, you jackass. Iowa. That's welcome it. to James and I get, Iowa. I get, so you're from Idaho, right? Elbette, Is it right? like in the mountains? No. Yeah. Oh, the potato nope. place, right? <laughs> yeah, the that's potato so place. Funny. It's so, it's amazing to me how piss poor Americans are at geography. Yeah, I'm probably closer to. Actually, I know for a fact that I'm closer in distance to Brian Cohen than I am to where you live. Oh, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Midwest for sure. Yeah. Midwest. Well, it's awesome to have you on the show, James. I, you and I have many conversations. You're one of the few people that I talk to on the phone on the regular because, like, I'm not a big phone conversation guy, but whenever I see James Fleming come up on my 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 phone i'm like i gotta answer this because it's always such a great conversation so i'm really looking forward to talking with you today and sharing your journey of making and becoming a knife maker and all the things you were just on the full blast podcast with jeff fader and i listened to that and i learned a lot about you even though i've known you for a while so that was a really cool um piece that you did with jeff um i know a little bit about what's going on with you right now i know you're preparing for your journeyman test that you'll be doing in june at blade show do you want to talk a little bit about you know where you're at in that stage and like how you're feeling about it yeah i mean so stressed is like the word that comes up the most (laughs) to like everybody who's testing this year especially uh most of us are pretty i mean two months out is down to the wire and i don't have one knife finished Ooh. Yeah. So, and I'm very stressed. I totally understand that. Oh, I am. Um, And on top of other projects, you know, it's, it's a never ending like management of time, but uh, 
I'm there. There is such a high caliber of people testing this year that I can't just bring passing knives. Um, at least not. I can't allow myself to bring just passing knives. I have to go above and beyond because um, I want to be sitting at the top of you know the class who pass. Uh, and with 47 people so far registered to take the test, uh, that's not going to be an easy task to accomplish. This is the most uh, Journeyman Smith um, like testees they've had ever. I was going to say, that seems like a lot of people testing. I don't know much about it, but 47 is a big class. Yeah, well, it takes... It's it you you present to a panel of seven master smiths if they can get the okay. seven, um, and they judge your knives and deem you know the the people pass or fail. And so think about seven guys looking over five knives apiece for forty seven people. Mm. Yeah, the the slot the... they have for it is two hours long, but I have a feeling that they're either going to run over or they're going to need oh, man. a With second seven, set of yeah. judges. What's the minimum number of mastersmiths that can qualify a person? So you said I, that they have sometimes have a hard time with seven, but yeah, sometimes they have a hard time finding seven. I think I've heard of them having as little as five, but you need a deal breaker. So yeah. you, you need at least a swing vote. Um, yep. Okay. And I, wow. you know, I I've never tested before, so I don't know how they yeah. really do it. But um, I can't imagine, especially with this many people testing that they would have any less than seven yeah because i mean you would just not be able to get through them all right so i'm obviously not familiar i'm a a fucking woodpecker over here but um (laughs) uh how many like how many master smiths are there uh i think there is 150 certified there is maybe 50 active um and when i say 150 certified there's probably a good 30 of those are dead gotcha man i feel like i have so many questions so what does it take to be active you just pay your dues and you okay you get qualified as a master smith so it's kind of like a knights of columbus or you know one of those fraternal (laughs) organizations Uh, with a test the uh, the requirements to get into this level of Knights of Columbus is just a little bit harder. I imagine. A little bit harder. And I don't know the fourth degree of Knights of Columbus. My wife gives it to me every night, but um. oh no, get the hell out of here! I think in sheer degree. numbers, uh, I would assume that the Knights of Columbus have more than fifty active members. Oh yeah, I, tons, you know, tons, tons. But I just, so. I guess. Um, in a way, it seems to have a fraternal side to it, but also it's a qualification, right? So it's completely different in in one regard as well. But yeah, and it's it's really it's not the only governing body for bladesmiths. I mean, there's the Texas yeah. Knife Makers Guild, there's the Knife Making Guild, there's uh, the Midwest Knife Makers Guild, but I don't think they do any certs. So the I know the Texas Guild and the Knife Makers Guild both do certifications, but it's nothing is recognized the same way as the ABS. Gotcha. So so uh, James, do you have when you were saying you need like a deciding factor knife, like you need something that really stands out? Do you want to talk a little bit about what your thoughts are on on your piece that's really going to stand out to the judges? Yeah. yeah so um, I'm gonna start with like my idea of 
quality made knives, especially in an association called the American Bladesmith Society. So a lot of what you see journeymen's are presenting are knives that have zero evidence that they were forged. Mm. Um, And I'm not a big fan of that because it one it's in the name like we're bladesmiths we're not knife makers you know there's 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 a subtle difference between a bladesmith and a knife maker um and so i in my personal mentality i think you have to show skill in the forging side of things not just the side you know the the skill of uh finishing a knife um because these have to be you know the fit and finish has to be perfect and a knife maker can do that just as well as a bladesmith if not better because that's all they do you know like you're grinding constantly or cutting versus a bladesmith who spends you know one third to half his time forging um so i am an idiot and i decide to do the most difficult things i can possibly think of and so um right now i'm planning for four out of my five knives to be integral knives (laughs) Three of those four are integral guards, one single lug, uh, actually two single lugs, one double lug, keyhole, integral, Bowie. Yeah. So what well, you're I saying is that you you actually hate yourself. I, do. I was just going to say, I said I don't know much about knife making, but I know that you're a masochist. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things I learned about James in a, so James just went to texas to do blade show west and we uh sat on the phone for a couple hours in each direction so i, I filled a little bit of his time during that um dr- those drives because he's got about a 14 hour drive and uh i i thought for the longest time and i'm not really sure why but i always thought you had a hydraulic press but you don't and you do all of this work with a power hammer or actually a tire hammer mm-hmm. uh, which is considered a power hammer but it's a rudimentary tool and that actually made me take pause because I started thinking about the quality of the work that you produce. And I guess the reason I assumed you had a press was because of all of the different amazing pattern welded steels that you produce out of your shop and the quality of work you're producing just automatically made me think that you had that tool. And then I started thinking about like how difficult some of these particular movements are, especially like integrals and things when you don't have a press. And, you know, I, um, you know, kind of sidestepping the whole ABS thing, you wanted to get into your, the reason why I think I gravitated towards your work initially was because it was just so very original. You know, there, you have a very specific style for somebody who's been making knives for the time frame yeah. that you've been doing it. Whenever I see one mm-hmm. of your knives, I never have to like look at the username on Instagram. I know it's yours mm-hmm. uh, because you just have this distinctive style I would like to know, you know, about the influences. I knew, I know you grew up in Texas and I can see Texas in your style. I, I definitely see it, but I also see a lot of native American, uh, you know, sort of rough. And, uh, like, like you said, you like showing the forge work and not covering it up. How did it, you know, what was the progression from, you know, Hey, I'm James. I want to start making knives all the way to like, this is my style. If I were a new knife maker, I'd love to hear that story. So, um, I'm a fucking nerd, man. Um, (laughs) (laughs) like it kind of stems from my like 
one video games like red dead redemption uh red 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 dead 2 some of those are two of my favorite video games um and just like the wild west like i played a ton of like wild west video games i watched a lot of wild west movies growing up and um you know, I was, i've always been fascinated with the west and the western like early western period of the united states um you know the frontier um and so that that ultimately triggered my style um and influenced it and even like it was on such a subconscious level that i didn't even you know it wasn't thought out it was just like i like this a lot so that's what i'm gonna do um you know i i'm not gonna make see i i at one point i started making knives because uh to follow trends and to to sell knives and i was just like no that's not really my thing like i don't like doing these knives so it, it the money is not worth it and if people see my style they're gonna like it because i like it and I, it's not like you know i i don't make ugly knives no um, and there's a market for every style right but i think there's particularly a market for someone that buys into a style their own and creates their own style and and really goes with it right and i think that trend the trend chasing bit gets old really fast and i'd much rather see somebody like you that it's so evident you know the west comes through like you were saying brian the the native american flair comes through and it's like even if you don't particularly like a style, you can buy into the fact that this person does and that they're going all at it, right? And I think that's what's really neat. I think that when you, when, and you do any type of art, artistic endeavor to actually produce something that has its own distinct, unique style is the ultimate for any particular artist, you know, we are a bunch of copies of copies, right? I mean, you know, if you think about it, it's a sharp pointy object. There's only so many configurations. You're going to be influenced by so many other makers. You're looking now with the internet, you can just like pull up anything and just see the stuff that's out there. And when I, when I look at James's work, I see that I see James, you know, and that's kind of a, um, that's just like a goal, I, I I think, for a lot of people who are creating things, making things, because, you know, everything's been done 10 times over. Right. Um, and yeah. Some of, the, some of the things that are actually being done now that people are taking credit for was were, you know, it's just all recycled. And yeah. I don't see I, I definitely see a, a bunch of things. I can see the influence around your work, James, but it's not doesn't feel recycled to me. No. Right. No. And so um you can you can so i'm I'm gonna use i think it's called an analogy but you can be an artist in a certain genre you can be a painter in a certain genre and not be you know uh escher or van gogh you know like you can paint in those guys genre especially like um who was the guy who basically invented surrealism he had the mustache Mm. salvador dali Dolly. So, so you can you can paint in Dolly's style and be completely your own like version. You you can be your own person in that painting, but if you paint exactly like Dolly, you're not you're you are a Dolly like uh, like replica at that point. You're not your own entity. 
So you have to find, and that's something that I learned very early on in my knife making is that I can't copy people. I can take things I like and I can change it up. But if I copy people, I'm only going to be known for other people's work. Yeah. Yep, but it's, yep. it, it, it's definitely the, it's the path less traveled and it's a harder path to travel. Right. Because mm. it takes intention, I think. And it takes thought about, I, I think in this new making world where everybody and their brothers making things, um, we f we think less about design these days and less about art these days and more about just making some something you know and to to actually consider design and to consider uh the final look before you start into a piece i think is overlooked a lot these days and it's just oh i like that or oh i got an order for a you know something from Pinterest. You know, I, I made somebody's Pinterest dream come true today and I'll do that again tomorrow and tomorrow and every desperate housewife and you know, in town is going to be happy. I hear well, that lot... loud and clear, Ben. I hear it loud <laughs> <You know>? and clear. <laughs> like, a, a lot I'm of makers though of... don't, they don't have the luxury of no. figuring this out because the, the luxury of developing a style is yeah. time. And it is. so, you know, when you look at someone who is doing, you can kind of tell like there's these different phases of artist life yeah. where they go through these different phases and their work evolves over time. It gets typically gets better yeah. uh, and it changes, it, you know, just like as we do when we get older, we start to look at the world differently. I know I don't look at the world the same way I did even 10 years ago. And so to see the progression of your work, James, I just, um, you know, I've, I've said this to you privately, but I, I'll say it now is that it, it makes me feel good like that people like you exist because yeah. it means that there was the freedom, the luxury of time and also talent and the, uh, the other piece of it, which is a lot of hard work, went into a pot and came out with, you know, with what you do. So, man, I appreciate your work so much. And I appreciate your approach too, because there's a lot of guys like you that do this kind of work who are, they don't share a whole bunch, you know, they just kind of like yep. keep it to themselves and sell off their work and whatever, but you're an active member of the community. It's good karma all around. And uh, man, I'm looking forward to just like hanging out with you on the podcast and just kind of learning more about you. Yeah, I'm excited too. And, and to that point of like sharing, I, you know, like um, some of the old guard guys in the knife making community, I know we've all ran into this or heard stories where they they don't want to teach you anything because it's going to take money out of their pockets. At least that's their mentality. And man, one of the coolest experiences I've had knife making is how open the community is so much so that um, when I was I signed up for 2020 Blade Show before it was canceled due to COVID. Um, and then Jason Knight posted a video on YouTube. He mentioned Blade Show. So I commented saying, hey, do you have any tips? This will be my first Blade Show. I And I, I just need tips on how to run the table. He found my Instagram from YouTube, sent me his phone number and told me to call him. Like, nice. And, wow. and gave me information that is so valuable. Like, and if you're asking people in the community the right questions, they are open to give you the information. If, if they're, 
if they teach classes where they make their living uh, by providing the information in these classes, then pay for the classes. Don't ask the questions offhand because they will teach you this. It's just sometimes it requires a little money. And sometimes that's how they're paying their bills. So, like, I understand both ends of it. And that's, like, why, I, you know, I'm trying to get my YouTube going. But um, I, all of you know how hard it is to run YouTube and a business. Lord oh, yeah. That's yep. a good segue because uh, I wanted to bring up a couple of things that we're doing right now. I've tried to get you into the, the challenges that we're doing. I'm still... Uh, I'm still your advocate for that. We're, we're working on some things. I, I want you to know that. Awesome. Um, and, and, you know, I understand Dennis's position. You know, he wants some bigger makers involved to keep the algorithm going. I get it. I think, um, though, that I, I really want to see you rise up on YouTube because yeah. you definitely want it and you're working for it. It's just like Brian has discovered and I discovered years ago that it's just an enormous amount of work. And we have this conversation um, in the shop all the time because like right now I'm prototyping a tool and I'm working on that and I'm making it. And what people don't see is all of the time that I've invested in just like fixing things to make other things work. So it's like a three-step phase huh. process that goes Dude, into the, this. The time you've spent just getting your shop ready to make YouTube videos yes. is more it's, than most people would spend on five years worth of shooting YouTube videos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's definitely it's an overkill, I think. But, no, you know, no I, it's awesome. It's, and yeah. it shows through in the videos. And I think to me, it's like it to do it and do it well and be successful at it, you've got to put in that work. You got to put in that time and, and also have like an, somewhat of an original concept. You know, when, yeah. you, when you bring things to YouTube, it's like, you know, it's been done over a million times. And, you know, it's the hard days to of, get that. Um, get those the, eyes on it yeah the days of the guys like I've, I've heard bob claggett say in the past where he just started posting to youtube and then one day woke up and thought shit i'm actually making enough money to quit my job those days are gone <laughs> yeah yeah definitely gone <laughs> you can't you, you can't stumble into a youtube channel anymore yeah you have to pat you know you have to pair it up with some other endeavor which i think yeah. is good anyway i think everybody should have like a diversified source of income so yeah. you know my my take on it is though that um, James, when you do finally get things rolling on YouTube, I know you're going to be successful. In fact, that, that was like kind of what brought us together was I was I was friends with you on Instagram. I had met you at Blade last year and then um, I was watching your YouTube. I just started kind of like um, going back. I went back and just like you know, binge watch everything that you had to offer because you were educating me. And so that took YouTube. like an hour. Well, there was, back then there wasn't that much, but yeah, no. And I'm watching you create these, these beautiful, amazing pieces that these knives with your, your home built belt grinder. And then you had bought into the last raffle that I had. And I was like, man, we got to get this guy a revolution. I mean, I just think if you have better, you have access to better tools, you're going to be able to do better things or at least more tools. And um, and then you and I just start talking and then calling each other and chatting. And, you know, I'm running things past you. You're running things past me. It became it's a very fluid, very organic friendship that we have. And yeah, there's something that you've said to me on a couple occasions um, where, you know, like, yes, we're friends, but we we also gain like monetary value from each other. 
yeah, there's a transaction involved. Yeah. But that's that's like the best friendship, in my opinion, is where I can offer something to you and vice versa. I, I say this all the time. If somebody wants to get in good graces with someone who may be able to assist them, don't ask them for something. Bring them something they don't have. And then yep. that way you give can them something. give them something, you know, that they don't have or they could use. And that will become a thing. So that's kind of how we met and, and we started talking. And it's been an awesome relationship. In fact, the... So when I started pattern welding Damascus, I was having a lot of trouble with a couple of things. And James saw it on Instagram and then called me and he was like, you know, instead of using borax, you should really use kerosene. And then, you know, that like that tip, just that one phone call, somebody taking the time, like 10 minutes to call me and tell me that. Then I started doing it. I started showing it off. Not that that's like a super original concept because a ton of bladesmiths do this or people that work with steel and pattern welding steel do this. But now I'm educating others as well. Like people are asking me, why do you, why did you soak that in kerosene? What's going on there? But isn't it interesting though, the, the number of people out there today that would take that the other way. I see so many people where if somebody leaves a comment or makes a comment on uh, Instagram or somewhere where it's a suggestion on you know, even knife talk, right? They kind of jokingly say, you know what you should do. Um, that sometimes gets so misconstrued as negativity. And I think it's, Mm. I don't know, it's kind of a weird environment for stuff like that. Well, it has to be, it has to be given in a, in a way where there's a previous relationship. I think when you give advice, unwarranted or unsolicited advice is Jeff and, and Mareko and, and Craig. Totally. Like a total It it can it can be very annoying. You know, I, some, oh, I agree. Yeah. I agree hundred percent. I just, I think it, yeah. I think it also has a lot to do with the approach of the response. So if you were like, you should really use kerosene. Cause you know, when I called you up, I wasn't like, you should use kerosene. I was like, I have found that, you know, uh, the flux actually burns the lining of your forge away, which, there you, go. you know, yep. and stuff like, so I, I, I always say, you know, if I'm going to try to give somebody advice, I'm not going to be like, hey, you should do this. It's like right. I always try to give my experience and how it yeah. works. You know, it was anecdotal, too, because yeah. you've done this so much. You, you're bringing all yeah. these years of experience to me. And I'm standing here in my workshop by myself trying to do something very complicated. And you take right. the time to ring my phone. And I'm not kidding you when I say this. I was filming the process and uploading it. And my forge is going and my phone rings and I have my AirPods in and I see it's James <laughs> and he's like, Hey, I, oh, this is my experience with this. And I'm just like, Oh, Don't. okay. <laughs> Duh. Let me just try that. And I did yeah. it. And now ever since that's all I do. And I learned right. so much from that 10 minute phone call. And again, this yeah. goes back to the community being open and, and yeah. talking about and, things. And it's careful great. about how you present that stuff too. And I think it's something for for everybody to think about because we all give advice whether we realize we're giving advice or not, right? Like to some degree. And so and I, I agree. Like sometimes I'll get comments on posts and I'm like, the only reason this person shared that was to say that they also do what I just did. Sure. <laughs> you know? And and it's like, okay, I get it, dude. You make these too. Uh and but, you know, it's just, I think it's just being careful about how you put that out there. But I've gotten some of the best ideas from situations just like that, right? People who notice what you're doing, who maybe course correct just a little bit, but do it in a way where it's, you know, tactful and, uh, you know, 
it provides you value. I think that's, you know, coming back to that is the important part. Yeah. So James, um, switching gears just briefly, I know you're a full-time knife maker, right? This is your, you make your living doing this. What are some of the things, were you, were you a business owner before this? Had you had any experience working for yourself? Oh, absolutely not. So this is it. This Man, is like I, I, I still have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I saw a post the other day where it was like something about new business or business owners or I don't know if it was new or not, but, you know, and it was like, are we supposed to know what the hell we're doing? <laughs> it's like, nope. Nobody no, it's just does. like anything else. You just, you just go for it and then figure it out as you yeah. go. And you you just convince yourself first and then you can convince everybody else. You just keep making mistakes and then don't do that again. Yes, yeah. why, you make enough of or, or surround so your yeah, or surround yourself with people who have made those mistakes. There like, you go. That's I've, a good point. I, yeah. Like the like I said, you know, I like Brian said, I call him up. You know, I then half the time I'm asking him about YouTube because he makes phenomenal YouTube videos, and I'm not gonna half-ass anything, so I want to make phenomenal YouTube videos. Um, so I, I call him up and I talk to him about that stuff. And, and we end up talking about more than just YouTube. It's, you know, uh, you end up talking about other ways of running your business and stuff like that. And YouTube is a long game, in my opinion. Once you get YouTube running and working for you, you can make that extra income. And then it, it, it'll provide, it'll help provide for you and, like Brian was saying, it's it's a lot safer to not have all your eggs in one basket. Yep. Yeah. Especially 100%. running a business because yep. something is going to fail at some point, and you're going to need something to pick up the slack. Or your or your wants will change too. You know, that's the other thing is that at some point you may decide like, hey, my hands aren't working so well anymore. Yeah. My eyes aren't working so well anymore. You know, I'd like to be able to move and shift into education and. Once, you know, that that becomes a once you become kind of a name in whatever industry you're in, it becomes real easy to pivot where yeah. and I think YouTube and social media are an integral part of being able to do that because it's like a safety net. Because if one day I decide or the market decides my grinder doesn't work anymore, they don't want to buy it anymore, whatever, then, um, you know, we 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 shift away from that and we shift into sponsorships with with uh, vendors and help push other things or you know there's a million things that we could do to to bring in income if we needed to and i think that the more you're out there the more you show your stuff the more network the bigger the network that you build the the more likely you are going to be able to pivot and do something different and I think we've, we've, we've kind of gotten away from that now because, you know, we're while working from home, we're doing different yeah. things. We're not out there making those network connections anymore. Whereas the Internet is it's like a catch 22. We're able to go and do these great things by ourselves. We're more of an in, I'm more of an introvert. I like being alone. I like working alone. And but that is a negative because now no one knows what I do. So. I have to put that out there to social media. And, and it turns out I just love doing it anyway. So, um, uh, so, all right. So I, getting back to the whole business end of things, I, I, I love the fact that you're a new business owner, or at least you're, you're not considered new anymore, but this is your first time doing this. You know, what would you suggest? Like, you know, when, when somebody's like, when you decided, tell me, I'd like to know the story 
uh, when you decided that you were going to just step away from your regular pay job and was it right out of the military you decided to go into knife making or what was the transition like? Oh no, there was quite a transition. So I got out of the army and I, I shattered my knee. I mentioned all of that on uh, Jeff's podcast and uh, I made a few knives in Texas and I was going to school for music and then uh, I met my wife my last year on spring break. I actually drove up, or I rode a bus up here because I didn't have a car at the time. Um, I just had a motorcycle, and I'm not driving 16 hours on a motorcycle. But <laughs> I uh, I for came love, up here James? You for could, love. Do anything for love. Well, I'll take man. a yeah, I'll take a bus. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's worse. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> so I I took a bus. Moped I, for you. <laughs> I came up here on spring break. We, you know, we hit it off before, obviously. We met through Instagram and then, you know, obviously we hit it off because I wouldn't have came up here if we didn't. But um, I once I graduated with my associates in music, I, I moved up here and I was working at Lowe's. And then um, I got a job as a rental warehouse manager at a music store, which was the most relaxed amazing job i've ever had it didn't pay well but i literally sat in front of a computer 50 percent of the time with youtube videos playing on one monitor and um excel on the other monitor filling in serial numbers for instruments and then the other half of the time i was organizing and loading shelves or you just described you just described all of corporate america yeah, well, that that hits a little bit closer to home to me because before my grandpa passed away, he had a music store, and you know, right after he passed away, my uncle had it, and I would go up there and organize and do pretty much exactly that for you know summers on end. So I'm right yeah. there with you, man. It, so, but it was amazing because the entire time I was doing it, I was just watching knife making YouTube videos, and uh, that that made. That allowed me to like get a lot of the knowledge without having anything up front. You know, I, I did a bunch of research and then I started getting stuff. And they had um, at the music store, my first grinder is actually built from the um, 2x72 slack belt instrument grinder they had there that they never <laughs> used. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah, I, I I scavenged it, cut it all up, and turned it into a knife making grinder. So I had the motor, I had three of the four wheels I needed, uh, and then then I had the frame all right there. And even even you know because the slack belt had a spring tensioned arm, that was already the orientation I needed it in. So I just you, you know adjusted it and made my grinder out of that. Um, but so I I was doing knife making you know part time. Uh, we were living in Iowa City then and we had our son and my mother-in-law was driving down every weekend. And so that was just too much for her. It was an hour and a half drive one way. And so we decided to move up here so uh, she didn't have to make that drive. And I got a, I started going back to school for electrical engineering. Uh, that lasted uh, two semesters. And then I just had to get a job. Like it, it, like the VA benefits I was getting just wasn't enough to pay for the bills. And so I went to work as a industrial maintenance technician um, for Exide 
which is a battery manufacturer, and they're 45 minutes away. So I was driving that uh, every night for, or not every night, it was three off, four on, and then vice versa. And it was 12 hour shifts and at night. So that was a lot. And then I found an industrial maintenance technician job here in town, but it was still third shift. Uh, so I worked there for almost two years. Uh, and then COVID hit. And uh, I had a supervisor who was a college graduate who had never done maintenance in his life. So it was one of those guys who thought he knew everything uh, because he knew everything on paper. Um but he was he was doing everything he could to keep me on third shift. And at this point, I had two children. And it just, I told him when I got the job, I told him before I was hired on that the first chance I get to come on first shift, I'm taking it. Like, the, this is, you know, the, the third shift is temporary for me because I have a family. I can't, you know, do this the whole time. And they were like, yeah, we, we totally understand. And then he was doing everything he could to keep me on third shift mm. while COVID was going on and all of this other stuff. So and at this point, I was making enough from knife making and my wife was like, just quit. And that's ultimately her, her saying that I could just do knife making until we figure things out was what made me go full time. There you go. Awesome. It was awesome. Like yeah. that support. I mean, you guys... No, I know Brian, especially like his, his wife is now a part of his business. It, it's so important yeah. to have that support behind yep. owning a business. Like, I don't Without know how that, yeah, you can't do it. Right. Yeah. You just can't do it. Yeah. Either that or you start the business at like 18 and it just builds, you know, when yeah. you don't have any responsibility. It, it's either a part. Yeah. It's either a part of you when you walk into a relationship or it's born between the two of you, I think, because otherwise you're right. It, it, it requires so much of your time, attention and focus that anyone who's around you is is either going to get sick the fuck of it. Or they're gonna buy into it and help, <laughs> you know. It's yeah, like, I think uh, I think we all hit the lottery on that. On that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep, no doubt. Yeah, you're you're married to two people, and when you're in your business, you're married to your business and your and your spouse, and so yep. it's super important to to be on the same page, and that will that can make or break a business. And I, I find it, um, I find when I when I look back on my time as an entrepreneur uh that you don't like think about it at the time when you're going through a lot of that those like maybe low periods where things aren't quite right or you're maybe considering going back to work or whatever <laughs> it is it's almost always your spouse who makes that decision for you like in my opinion it was like you know it was my spouse that made those two choices for me that you know gave me the perspective that said like yeah, today's a bad day or this month was a bad month, but that's that's finite. You know, just remember that you're going to do OK. It's going to change because you get so engrossed in your own negativity. Sometimes it's just tough to it's tough to overcome yeah. it. A lot. I, so I hear that, especially right now, because like, as you guys know, I, I was saving up and, you know, kind of yeah. building building my little nest egg. And then we hit that deer and, you know, that that all happened. So a lot of that nest egg went away. 
and now I was building up again, and then now my van's broken down, and I'm waiting on parts, and it's just like, holy shit. Oh. <laughs> At what point do I, do I crawl back to Target with my tail between my legs? But then, you know, Emily and I had a conversation, not last night, but recently, and she was like, you know, this sucks, and it's it sucks that you're sitting on your hands right now, but, you know, you can be productive. You can edit all the log of YouTube videos that you have, mm-hmm. you know, built up. You can do a bunch of other things. It's not like... Just because you have a week away from the shop doesn't mean that you are completely yeah. unproductive and you're still moving forward. It's just not what you want to be at right now. And it's- it takes that other person sometimes too, just to point that shit out. You know, like you get you get mired in the muck. And my wife does a very similar tactic. You know, she's so good at details, and she'll step back and say, "There's this detail and that detail and six other details, and here's your list for today. Goodbye. I'm going to work." <laughs> I think the the other thing is like when you're at those super high highs, um, yeah. you just you don't think of it as a high. You just think of it as oh, this is what it should be all the time. Yeah, and there's, then your lows big... seem like oh my god, the world's over. This whole thing is crashing down around me. I'm I'm not gonna be able to survive right. this financially, and it, we're all just fucked. You so like that... you you have like what feels like you know just what should be normal, and then the basement. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that uh, social media does that to an extent? I mean, oh, possibly. I, possibly. I, I feel like it's, it's always glitz and glamor, right? Like I started my own fucking business and I'm making millions of dollars and life's fucking amazing. My wife's hot and I got laid last night, you know, and it's like all this <laughs> shit. And you're like, wait a minute. I'm just here in my goddamn workshop fucking alone. There ain't no celebration going on here today, you know? Like, <laughs> I comparison a, is the killer of order. all joy, man. Oh, oh my God. God. I so tell good. my wife that all the time. I that, know. Don't compare. It's, Just don't compare yeah. your what's going on in your life has no intrinsic value, or what's going no. on in somebody else's life has no intrinsic value on your life. You got to no. focus on what you're doing now. And even if what's going on now isn't paying off now, that's building up your yep. you're cashing in just not now so oh, everything yeah. you do towards the business it's 100%. something that will pay off in the end 100 percent. I, I couldn't agree more and it and i think it takes it takes longer than most folks realize and longer than most will allow to happen before some of that stuff does pay off right like how many people start a podcast or start a YouTube channel or start a start posting daily to Instagram or whatever the hell it is and they get into it a week, maybe a month and two videos on YouTube and it just fades away and they're like, "Ah, fuck, I tried it, it didn't work." It's like, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> you know, you said earlier, James, YouTube, a lot of things in life are a quote long game, you know, and I think just outside the scope of a lot of people yeah I, th- I think a lot of people see i mean there are people um i'm trying to think there's a specific knife maker knives uh handmade uh, by neck or something like that some there's this uh guy he i think his instagram was at like six thousand, and then he had a couple videos and posts just go viral on instagram like somehow the algorithm just picked him up and he's at 30 something k now and yeah. I think I think that growth happened over a six month period, so yeah. he went from maybe six thousand to thirty six thousand, yeah. and but that's and and people see that you know like I saw that I noticed it because he was like it was like every five posts was like hey I hit this milestone, 
And it was like, man, like, well, when's that going to happen to me? Well, you can't focus on that because that, that's like, it's like the lottery. I was just going to say it's like looking at the lottery winner and thinking, well, why isn't that me? Come on. Got to pay right. to play, baby. You know, there's a guy, Lincoln Street Woodworks on YouTube. And in 10 months, he went from zero to 100,000 followers on subscribers on YouTube. And yeah. he sell his soul? Well, he so and the, the beauty he has, I think it's 10 videos. That's all. What? Oh my god. Yeah, but he just posted a video uh, a couple weeks ago. It was like how to grow from or how I grew my channel from 0 to 100,000 followers in 10 months and how much I made and he kind of went through uh how, you know how he did it. But there's a there's a sort of muted point that he makes and he does market research for a day job. <laughs> you know, and so he treated YouTube like market research and probably spent two years researching what those 10 videos should be, you know, and they're they're not um, they're not particularly uh, videos that uh, that I would probably have made or ever thought to make. But when I stepped back and looked at them, you know, it was the very core, the thing that most people are looking for. It's like, which finish to use on your woodworking projects, how he set up his dust collection in a small workshop, because everybody's got a small workshop, you know, <laughs> it was a small, uh, small shop tour because everybody has a small fucking workshop, you know? So he was... Like when you step back and look at the videos he made, it's like, yeah, this is really fucking brilliant. And somebody should just duplicate these videos, you know, put their own twist on them. But this guy's got it all. Well, here's the problem is that algorithm changes so frequently oh, it that it does, what yeah. he did over the, the course of, what did you say, seven months Ten is months, already completely yeah. different. <laughs> I know. Yeah. The, but it's the interesting. The algorithm changes, but the searches don't. So oh, that true. if you understand what people what want people to see, what people are looking for, because YouTube's a search engine, right? Yeah, at, at its core. Well, holy shit, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, oh, 100%. so when and that's like, you know, like I have all these ideas for YouTube. I just need to do them. And um, and it my whole thought about YouTube stemmed from all the people who follow me on Instagram. You yeah. would think, you know, I I have just short of 11k right now you would think you know a bunch of different types of people follow me well the majority of the people who follow me on instagram are other knife makers and they're young knife makers so i'm gonna roll with that with my youtube and most of my videos are going to be geared towards that demographic yeah did you just listen easier to get them to transfer over if it relates to them yeah, Vintage Axe Works was on. I don't remember which uh, which podcast he was on recently. Um, the the making it or uh, one of those make uh, making hand, our way. Making our way. No, I think uh, anyway. He he says, and I hundred percent agree with him. I've never heard it put this simply, but folk that there, there are two extremes or two poles that are attracting to people out there and one is the brand spanking new beginner and the other end of the spectrum is the old crusty pro right so if you tailor content to the beginner or you tailor content to the pro you're going to hit the middle as well you know there's a uh, my wife and i talk about it a lot she's in education and there's a there's a theory we looked at it in software development as well if you develop 
for the edges. We always seem to develop for the middle and, and mistakenly by targeting the middle of an audience, you miss those edges. So you missed, you missed the smartest kid in the class and you missed the dumbest kid in the class, right? Because everything's for the average kid. And instead, there's a movement to try to teach to the extremes. So teach to the smartest kid in the class. You start seeing AP classes. You start seeing special labs and all this other shit for these really smart kids. And you start seeing better services for the lower end of the spectrum. The kids in the middle are benefiting from all of it, right? Because some things they can bump up, some things they can bump down. It gives them more room to sway. So I think it's a it's an interesting approach is to somehow keep in mind targeting those two ends of the spectrum and tailor your content that way. That's an interesting point. I've never thought about that. Pushing it to the edges, like going after the yeah. going after the beginners and going after the old school guys all at the same time. Because the old school guys are guaranteed to tell you you did something wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then and, and then the new the, school guys will go, shit, that's awesome. Someday yeah. I'll get there. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Wow, I never thought of it like that. I suppose that Kinda worked. Could that could work. Be. That could definitely well, work. Yeah, and and I get and I, put, I kind of put two and two together the other day when I was talking to Christy and, you know, and I said, well, fuck, that makes so much sense because YouTube at a core level is education, right? It's entertainment, education, yeah. and, you know, several other things. And it's like, well, shit, if it works for education, it could work for YouTube. I said this on the <laughs> – so just I'm going to give this a quick plug because I was on the Making Our Way podcast and it's normally Christy, Dean, and Austin. So there's there's the three hosts. But Christy was, I guess, uh, out of town or something. And yeah. so it was I was on with Jacob, Austin and Dean. And yeah. I, you know, I've listened to a few of their episodes and it, it's really good show. And um, and boy, did I have a great time on there. I really enjoyed talking with them and getting to know them and, and understanding yeah. their journeys of like running their shops and what they're doing. I did, you know, get, kind of did a deep dive on Austin from high caliber Oh man, what unbelievable a, stuff! Just phenomenal. I found him maybe a year ago, and the stuff he's making is just next level. I mean, he ran a surfboard shop, made his made and sold surfboards for crying out loud! For I learned so much about them, yeah. and uh, you know, it was focused on me because I was the guest. But um, I learned yeah. a lot about them doing research before I went on. So I I just um, wanted to thank them for having me on. Go go give them a listen and uh f you know figure out uh how to find them i think they're all i think it's just making our way and you can go on all the major podcasting platforms uh right before i was on uh paul jackman was on and yeah. um he is the guy that works with jimmy Duresta, or he's a content creator that helped uh, and i learned a lot about jackman as well because i didn't know this but it, he was kind of the first one they approached to make the yeah. making fun show on Netflix. He was. So I thought that was interesting. I learned a lot. But anyway, go listen to that episode on on uh, any podcasting platform. Make sure you go follow Austin and Dean and Christy and Jacob, uh, good folks. And I did I did a bunch of stuff on uh, social media, so you can find them pretty easy. Um, switching gears, guys. Have you taken a, a minute? And I'm sure James, you look at WFI projects. If I'm, I'm looking at it right now. 
There are so many awesome posts on here from our listeners. 3,366 posts. Was it 2,300 last week? It was just over three. So I think was it? Was it? Like, okay. Yeah, it was just over 3,000 posts in the last, uh, you know, uh, week or so. Or 300 posts in the last week or so. So that's pretty gotcha. cool. And I'm just seeing some pretty amazing stuff coming out of, I'm just going to start and dive right in with uh, a knife from Josh Endes. So it's mm. J-O-S-H-E-N-D-E-S, all one word. He has 250 followers. He is in Alaska and his work, it's, it kind of reminds me a little bit of James's work. It's, it's got kind of a really yeah. cool rustic feel and, and it's a really interesting piece. It's a mono steel 1095 stone washed uh, blade, but notice what he did with the photography. Mm-hmm. He, he took a, a chart and uh, laid out a map and a chart and a, a de- deer antler or some sort of antler material. And he took a really great photo. That's what made this stand out to me. So, um, you know, keep that in mind. So Josh, nice work on that. (laughs) So maybe I should switch it up away from just the running water in the background from the Chippewa River. No. (laughs) (laughs) Believe it or not, I appreciate that too, because you know what, man, that takes a lot of time and effort to go do that. I mean, I appreciate that so much. So I'm yeah. going to go ahead and pick up the next one. It's from Bird Forge. It's a fillet knife. It looks really pretty. The The handles are really cool. Um, It might say on here somewhere. It's like a, it looks like a dyed maple wood. It's super, super vibrant. But the thing that I want to point out is his edge guard that he's making out of Kydex. Very cool. Very interesting. That's actually something that I've been looking into um, doing for like my chef knives or other culinary knives. Um, that in leather or, you know, of course, I've always been talking about getting into Kydex, but then, like I said before, there's been so many shit coming in that, you know, I, I haven't been able to put that on the financial plate, but, you know, it is what it is. But this edge guard, specifically because um, my leather guy is, like, going right down to the bottom of his barrel of what leather he has because it's so short right now. Like, there's, like, shortages of leather in our yeah. area. So, you know, I've been I've been looking at like, oh, could we do edge guards over like the full sheath, saving that little bit of leather? Maybe it'll be quicker, who knows. But I love the idea of just like this little thin edge guard that, you know, it's just easy to pop on and like normally you don't want to throw a knife in a drawer, but this would save it enough that I feel I would feel pretty comfortable doing that. I'll have to send you um I'll send you a email beacon uh, you just got a message. I'm on the Wicket and Craig mailing list, and they've got a sale going on on some very rare overstock uh, hides. And you might oh. be interested in some of those. Yeah. You can well, he normally like he's he's a little extra snuffy because he only he tries to only stay with Michigan leather, like Michigan wow. cows. But you know, Sorry. At, some, at some point he's got to give. Right. <laughs> I thought fucking American made was good enough, but now we got to be Michigan. <laughs> Listen, I only use leather from a specific county. In I only use skunk Michigan. leather. I only use leather from skunks. It's got to be from you know Dane County and uh, just north of the you just know south of the mitten. Latitude. All right, all right, all right. In the valley, it's got to be harvested from the valley. <laughs> hey, uh, speaking of leather, I'm gonna shout out. It's been a minute since I feel like he's been shouted, but Moonshine Leatherworks. Uh, made this buttstock cover for what he said was a, 
a single shot 10 gauge, which, man, that's a hell of a shotgun. And uh, what I thought was cool about it is he added a pad to the top of it because the guy, I guess, was having a hard time getting um, like a good um, cheek, cheek weld, as they call it. And so he was having a whole, he pulled the gun up and basically the stock wasn't quite tall enough to catch his cheek so he could get a good, you know, sight down the barrel. And he added about an inch pad to the top of it, which would allow this guy to get a good cheek on the gun. And I thought that was cool because I've actually got a couple of rifles and a BB gun that Sam has a hard time shooting because he can't get his cheek on it with his little head. So I think I go. might uh, take a hint from old Buff there at Moonshine and make myself a cheek pad for my butt stock. <laughs> <laughs> that is a sentence right there. There's, yep. there's a lot of jokes in there. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's Next. Big, that's a big <laughs> Right, I've got yeah, I've got one pulled up. Sugar Shack Forge, his racing axes. Oh man, I wasn't mm. gonna pick that one. It's oh so good. man, they're so good. He does such a clean job. They make me like I, for the longest time, I thought he was importing these from Australia because this is an Australian design, but he's making these, and I'm just yeah. like so like his clean racing axes are they're so flawless and it's insane. Yeah, so that, that's Ethan Goss, and mm-hmm. if uh, yeah, it, you could get sucked into his feed and just look at his work. It's it is it's insanely clean, um, and he sells these axes. So go check out Sugar Shack Forge. All uh, one word under there's no underscore Sugar Shack Forge. He has twenty five hundred and ninety four followers at the time of this recording, and uh, they're all awesome. Like you can just dig in. Like I'm just getting sucked into like axe making videos right now on YouTube. So to see this kind of work coming out of a small forge, it's just like, dude, it's unbelievable work. Yeah, he makes really nice uh, knives too, specifically his Pucos. Mm. Just his his style is very clean. Um, but yeah, those axes, man. Every time I see him, I stop and like <laughs> scroll through his page again. And he's he's in Traverse City, Michigan. Oh, I had no idea. I hear they make good leather there. oh man yeah i'm digging into his feed i'm getting sucked into his feed i gotta stop doing this but yeah yeah, go check him out for sure um all right so i got mixed up in looking at that here while you're looking for another one i'll i'll take on brigham kendall he he is out there forging away with his son how cool is that awesome Awesome. Yeah, they're they're forging out on that. some hooks for his Mamosi Fire Arts uh, apron, which is you know really interesting. And like just that bonding time, how how awesome is it to have his son in the shop and interested yeah. in forging? So if you haven't listened to him on the Hustle and Grind podcast, uh, it's awesome. I was I was joking with Jason Hartwell yesterday, and I said, "You bastard! You beat me to the punch." I said, "Brigham." has needed to be on a podcast forever (laughs) and i've had that guy in the back of the head to get on our show but what a tremendous supporter of the community man Mm -hmm. that guy is everywhere and i love it i love it i've been yeah he went to um he worked with jason knight he went uh, yeah and and did a class with jason uh, that's what he said yeah i've been trying to find time to work with him and his son on uh like a half style apron design and uh 
Hopefully, I will get to that soon. But so, yeah. like a kilt? Is that what you're kilt thinking style, about? Yeah. Kilt style, yeah. And it won't, won't be like the full. It'll be assless kilt. Oh, <laughs> that's a look. <laughs> you know. Next, but, you'll uh, be making assless chaps. Yeah. You're like these are know, these are my workshop chaps, guys. Because there oh, are. Yeah. There All are chaps ass- are assless. I was just going to say, like, that's, that's redundant I'm gonna make there, ass bud. Chaps. Ass to chaps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so For those of us pants. that don't like to show our moneymaker. <laughs> uh, I don't know how this happened, but Rothman Knives uh, went to visit Jimmy Duresta and uh, oh, nice. took some photos of his workshop and... Uh, and then tag WFI project. Love it. Cool. So, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Really fun. He took a that. picture like a, it's like a, it's like a mill. It, it looks like some sort of small mill that's belt driven. I've oh. never seen anything like it. Um, I don't know. Maybe they had this machine has a specific purpose, but Rothman knives um, is the username. So he has 676 followers. I think maybe he bought this machine from Jimmy. I don't know. Of course, there's the, the, the Jimmy Duresta, you know, stencil is on it and everything. So <laughs> nice. Cool. Yeah. Often nice. There it is. Oh, yeah. I got this my isn't a pantograph. Oh, it's a fucking pantograph. Is it a pantograph? Because yeah. I don't see the other side of it, so I can't, I can't tell. Maybe it is. Oh, no, think... it is. It is a pantograph. Yeah, that's wow. a pantograph. That is awesome. And, of course, the, the, the plates that it has attached to it but two of them say Duresta and one says Habu (laughs) Oh that's true yeah that's right look at that that's nuts that thing's crazy like these these old machines like this that are obscure and odd you know it just amazes me the shit that was as you just said obscurity for those of us sitting in the back seat of the bus you know can you can you explain what it is that you're talking about a pantograph a pantograph So it so it it basically well it's a tracing machine is probably the simplest way to say okay. it, um, right? So it, it it's a ratio tracing machine. Yeah. So, so you can enlarge or yeah. Or you, you can either you have a template that's either one third, one fifth, or one eighth the size of the parent stock or vice versa, and you can cut following this template. A pretty pretty close to exact shapes. Um, yeah. Isaiah Schroeder, he's a chef knife maker uh, in Madison, Wisconsin. He uses a pantograph machine for a lot of his handle work, and so he's just like cutting the handle shapes. He's not like the actual handle, but he's cutting shapes out and piecing them together like a puzzle using a pantograph. Nice. Gotcha, That's gotcha. cool. I've seen them. Um, there's a thing called a Panta router uh, for woodworking that I've seen a ton of, and folks use it for like cutting uh, mortise and tenon joinery or that kind of thing. So, you know, you can have uh, very simple. Whoops, sorry. sorry. We uh, um, you can have very uh, precise jigs or I guess templates that you throw on this thing, and then you're always ready to go with a mortise and tenon, you know, or if you have other joinery methods or other different things that you want, but the panda router is pretty slick. Gotcha. Yeah. The, the, um, the first CNC machines that were two dimensional CNC, they were designed off of the early pantograph machine. So um, I, one of the, the guy that actually invented 
the plat like the plasma table CNC. Uh, he he actually built a revolution and then, like called me one day and we were just bullshitting. It's the guy that um, created the Torchmate uh, that now Lincoln Electric actually owns them. But um, he told me that the early versions of that table were all driven by hand. So you would, if you can imagine, oh, like, nice. so you would have the template on one side and, Etch -a -sketch. A plasma, <laughs> and a plasma torch on the other. And then he would cut, the, you know, basically cut the part like a pantograph using, using that technology. Super interesting stuff. Really interesting guy. Yeah. Cool. So we're an hour into this, guys. Switching ears. Does anybody have a dad joke? Oh, I have a good dad joke. I have a really good dad joke. This is really good. All right, you ready for this? You got your oh, trombone yeah. out? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. All right. All right, good, good. <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, I don't know if you guys know this, but I've always wanted to be a Gregorian monk, mm. but I never had the chance. <laughs> <laughs> That was brought to you by that's, William Finley, who that's submits a like good one. that. That's a really good one. Yeah, and that's great. It made me laugh out loud. There's like only a few of these that make me actually laugh out loud. And when I read that one, because he kind of sent it to me like as a meme, like yeah. where it's like a picture of Gregorian monks like chanting. Yeah, like, oh, this, is, this is great. <laughs> So Brian, if you're not familiar with Gregorian monks, hey now, chant. whoa, 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 whoa! Well, you didn't know what a pantograph machine was. I have to explain it. I explain you, everything to you youngsters. You hide tanners up there in Michigan. <laughs> Do you have any uh, uh, Gregorian monasteries up there in Michigan? <laughs> Gregorian tanneries. <laughs> Oh man! All right. So, is there anybody I, anybody want to bring anything else up? I did want to bring one thing up from one of my favorite Canadians, and that is the abstract underscore blacksmith, Mister Lando Novak, who is uh, making hammerheads. These are really cool. These skull hammerheads. Have you seen these? Oh yeah. I'm just this looking now. Amazing. Yeah. That's the and other the, thing. Those guys are hilarious in. too. Some of their freaking reels are just killer yeah okay you got to go out and listen to the forge side chat if you're not already listening to that uh there it's just a it's just a good time but good i've stuff. gotten sucked into figuring out how to punch the eye for axes and hammers and clark over at clark iron forge the guy that built my press yeah. he's building me the the jig you know so that oh, cool. there's there's a punch at the or a drift i guess at the top and then there's like a cage at the bottom that goes into the bottom die. Uh, so when you pull the hammer or you pull the punch or the drift out as you're punching, the hammer hits that cage and falls off. So it kind of like all in one movement. Gotcha. It's going to be one of those. That, that press is awesome, man. That thing is really slick. Oh man. I'm super blessed to have that thing. I, I, I do a lot of different movements with it. Just things that you wouldn't, it's like every time I think about something, I'm like, oh, I need to do this. Well, of course, I'll just take it over to the 25-ton press. I can I can punch things and do yeah. all kinds of operations on that, yeah. anything you can dream up. So, so here's a question. I, I, we, I guess we got a little bit of time. So this just made me think of this. So, James, you had mentioned earlier about uh, the Bladesmith Society, and, and I, I think a noble – desire to bring smithing into it uh are you a smith if you use a press yeah 
Yeah, okay. so smithing is manipulating steel, a uh, hot okay. steel in a, in a way. So it, it's manipulating gotcha. okay. steel without removing material. But that you're still, sense. like, no matter what you do, at the end of the day, you're removing material to make knives. It's not like yeah. that's... Everybody's doing stock removal. You're just adding an extra step as a bladesmith. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, I just, again, as a know-nothing hillbilly that makes good sense though i I guess hence stock removal is as the uh uh opposite of that right it's so you know it's but i never thought yeah i guess i think press and you think technology and new and all that shit but it doesn't just have to be a big old air driven power hammer or a man man driven hammer yeah, I mean, there's a guy, there's a young guy, he's probably 20 now, I think he's in Australia, or New Zealand, he's using um, a fly press to make all of his Damascus. Um, nice. Are you, are you familiar you with a what a fly flies. press is? Yeah, they gotta. That's that's how he drives the machine. Yeah. Are you talking about uh, Floris Postmes? No, he's he's a Scandinavian. Yeah, he's like in the Netherlands. No, there's there's another guy, another young foreign maker. But since you brought up the press, there was one thing I wanted to mention. You asked me earlier about like you know what made me ultimately decide to go full time, but there was one thing i would like to say to anybody thinking about going full-time is before you do it while you have the funds from a separate source so if you're working a full-time job and making knives on the side use all of the money you're making from the knife making to tool up before you go Mm full-time yeah if you don't have the means for production you don't have the means to run a business Yo, how about it? I, I can tell you that I have noticed that, right? I'm starting now to get some woodworking commissions going again. And comparing that to the leather work that I do, I am much more tooled up for woodwork, right? I've got every tool that I could need to do production woodworking crammed into a one-car garage, mind you. But when it comes to leather work... I'm not tooled up. I'm not tooled up with sewing machines and clicker presses and all that stuff to really get production going. And man, it is a big difference, a big difference, you know, not only on the amount of product you can put out there, but the amount of stress you're going to go through, the amount of work you're going to have to do to get product out the door. Um, You know, just simple, simple things that you don't consider um, time is money, right? And mm-hmm. I heard it on the, uh, I think it was the Another Woodshop podcast recently. They just did an episode all about really focusing on business. You know, and they said a, in a similar vein that you're going to have to spend a lot of money to make money and, you know, spend that money while you're, while you still got an income coming in. Makes a big difference. Yeah, I've heard I've heard before and and like from business people that starting a business the first five years you don't make any money. I can believe that because it's all going back into the business. Like most people don't cut themselves a paycheck for the first five years. Yeah, that would I mean, be true. That's, that's some somewhat true. I think now, 
you know, in, in my case, like, because I had been my first instance of being in business, like when I started my first company that actually was successful, I had to have, I, I saved up about $30,000 to fund that first go for it, you know, kind of thing. And then I used, I didn't pay myself at all for the first probably two years, I would say was about my, my time frame. And then when I started actually seeing that I could, could potentially pay myself, that's when I started drawing a paycheck. Um, but it was that like $30,000 that kind of helped me through if I had any problems or had any issues with, you know, basically I had to pay down my mortgage and everything out of that money in order to keep me running. Um, as you grow though, and the money starts to flow better, you start to work that out to where, you know, you may not be paying yourself as much, but you're taking perks from the business. You know, that's another thing is a lot. Of yeah. These, we talk about Elon Musk not drawing a salary. Well, he eats in his, you know, everything's paid for. Yeah. If Elon Tesla. needs a car, Tesla's yeah. fucking buying it, you yeah, know, he, and if Elon needs groceries. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. He's taking care of it. And, and so you, you look at it like that because, and that yeah. we say this, you're married to your business and that's, that's something yeah. you have to be really dedicated to. So when I look at somebody who's doing a side hustle, I appreciate that almost more because I'm like, well, you know, this guy's going to work all day long or, you know, doing four tens or whatever so he can work. Um, you know, I, I had this conversation with bald man because uh, Brent is working towards that transition where he wants to start thinking about going full time with his knife making. Yeah. And that is it's so awesome to watch him do this because I, when I met him, he wasn't anywhere near this point of his life he was just thinking that knife yeah. was going to be like a side hustle and he wasn't really sure he's going now, to play he's going to get a table of blade i saw he's got a table of blade love he's, it he's, this guy i mean i'm i'm going to say it right now bald man is going to be like a, a household name i think he's going to really produce some really amazing things and grow his business i believe in what he's doing i think it's just an amazing thing so there's not a, a guy more excited than him i mean i i've seen watching his content it's just it it excites me you know it's like i you can't help but get excited about the shit he's doing he's just so he's, he's full of brent. speaking of brent how's that table coming along oh yeah the jig well thing. We hit a little bit of a snag with the true tilt table, nothing mechanical, but so when the first concept of this came out, we were just going to do straight up table that fits to the revolution. And, you know, it, it, it's just basically that plate steel, tube steel, kind of like the whole revolution build. Well, as I was using it, I started noticing that it would be really great if you had reference lines that were on the table itself because you're essentially freehand grinding your bevels but with the support of the table in order for that to occur and may in order for it to actually work to your benefit you have to understand that you need the blade to be 90 degrees to the belt you know if that makes sense like to when you're looking at it not not the angle in which it's hitting the belt, but the angle in which it's lined up to the belt. So it needs mm -hmm. to be perpendicular. 
and it also has to be perpendicular when you're turning it. So if you're if you've got a curved blade, you're going to want to drag that blade across the belt, but you're also going to want to meet those curve lines, right? So wherever you want that makes sense because curve. as you're freehand grinding, you naturally just do that. Exactly, so, it's the same mind. exact thing that you would do if you're freehand grinding, except you have the support of the table. And so I came up with this concept of doing laser etched uh, reference lines in the table. So as you're pulling it across, you're going to be able to look at the table nice. and see that they're where you are from left to right. You'll it, it, like I don't know if they still do this, but in grade school, remember the, like when they taught you how to write those mm-hmm. lines yep. that were on the paper or yep. whatever you would fill it in. It's just like that, but it's smaller. Still do it. Yeah, they yes, yeah, so it's the same concept. And uh, we hit a snag because it needs to be laser engraved and it needs to be laser engraved in a way where it won't wear off of the table and it won't yeah, scratch your work while but you're you also using. you also don't want it to be indented because then that will be a spot for shavings to coalesce and make so that your dragging is a lot yeah. less yeah and you know you could clean the table there's usually water involved so that a lot of it comes off i just there's just a little bit more development we need to do before yeah. we release it because that will be what sets us apart from the other work rests that are similar to this. There's not that many, but there it's definitely something that I, yeah. you know me, man, I, I can't got to take it stop. up a notch, baby. I, yep. Exactly. I can't stop myself from thinking, okay, this is great. This works really good. But Dude, if we yeah. had it like this, I think we could make it even better. So, um, I Same just way. stepped back from it and said, I want to do this and I want to do it right before we release the table. And then that way, when they're out, they're out and there's no version one and version two, because what will happen is if I sell version one is just plain old blank steel, that would be 90% of the way there. But then in three months, release one with the laser etch. That's not know, fair. Reference that, guys. Line. Exactly. All those people are going to get pissed at you. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I want to get See. it done right before I How do you? It. How do you overcome that stuff? Because I, so traditionally have always built custom uh, stuff, right? And 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 now working on developing, you know, an apron design or whatever it is that I'm putting out there. I just did, um, I've got some wet mold jigs on my website now for wet molding catch-all trays. Um, and in in all of the projects, right, the apron in particular, like I mold over and built prototypes of, you know, so many different designs and options. And I had all this shit, you know, going and, I, and it was like, at some point I just stepped back and I went, no, I got to get this fucking thing out the door. Right. Like, how do you balance that between next, you know, next iteration or version two versus version one or. Yeah. Where do you draw a, the line? I guess you just have to say done is better than perfect at some point, yeah. you know, and then as it, as the project progresses, I think people know that when they buy a product from me. So if, you know, it, at some point we're going to improve it. Yeah. Um, you know, just like anything, it's like when you buy a car, you know, it's, yep. it's like the next year, the next edition is going to be a little bit better or sure. bigger or best, you know, whatever. I look at it like that. But at the same time, when I, when we developed, the table it 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 was it just kept fluidly happening to where the more i used it the more i felt like it's good but i want this because i think that this is going to be the thing that makes people go i got to have it yeah. and we could have sold thousands of them probably as blank slates 
but it will be those reference lines that makes you a better grinder and makes you a better knife maker. And if I can do that for somebody, that means I have a customer for life, you know? And if I can hand them like the tools that they need to make it happen, I think that's just like the coolest thing in the world. I I get pictures every day, man, of people sending stuff. They're like, I, I, I started on a one by 30 and now I've got this two by 72 that I built from you. It's it, dude. It's so cool, man. It's ridiculous. And I think, um, it, it, it it isn't, it, we're living in a world where there aren't a lot of products that have a version two, right? I think about some of the tool makers out there in the industry, whether it's machines, machines are more likely to have a version two or three or those kinds of improvements. Right. But other tools like a jig, for example, like you're talking here, uh, that allows you to do a piece of work or a specific piece of work you don't often see improvements on those and i think that to me is what really sets apart the work that you do and you know i think about like woodpeckers tools is very well known in the woodworking industry and probably other industries for like highly highly accurate measuring and marking tools they will they will sometimes improve on a product but they have a very interesting model where they'll do one-time tools and they'll say okay this tool is coming out in a month. It'll be a one-time thing. We're going to sell them till they're gone, and then it's going to go away. They claim, quote, go away, but usually they'll bring a tool back in a year, maybe two, and it's got some improvements on it. Um, but there's so few companies improving on things. It's, it's kind of sad, really. <laughs> well, it's Profits get in the way of... It, yeah. It, the art of craftsmanship guys talked a lot about this in a, bu- a, f- a whole bunch of episodes back, but they were talking about how like, you know, one guy starts a company and it's like this amazing idea and it's, you know, whatever it might be. And then of course it grows because that one guy, you know, was so passionate about it and, and, you know, dumped his entire life into it. Well, eventually that guy gets older and doesn't, you know, his changes and wants or his wants and needs change. So, you know, things get a little bit different. And then somebody comes and buys him out or a board of directors gets involved. And then it becomes more about the stockholders or the shareholders than it does the actual customers. And then we see things start to fail or collapse and, you know, become mediocre where, you know, now with micro manufacturing, um, I don't know if you listened to the whole episode, I think, Ben, of the yeah. making our way where Jacob was talking about micro manufacturing and how cool it yeah. is to see all these people popping up with these ideas. I think, you know, from uh, the standpoint of a bunch of kids who are raised in houses filled with goods that were made overseas that were throwaways, you yeah. know, you, I don't know if you guys had the same experience and Cone, I, you probably did too. Oh yeah, for sure. Where yeah. the stuff in your house was always kind of mediocre. It worked, yep. it functioned, but you know when it broke, you didn't fix it. You threw it away. Especially uh, tools and, back then. That was like yeah. the rule. It was like the the onset of cheap fucking tools. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. Like Harbor Freight was like just becoming a thing, yeah. which we all can't appreciate that because it's our starter pack, right? We get involved in buying tools at a cheaper yep. level to kind of grow into that. But now we're seeing a whole neck are this whole next generation going to buy knives from a guy like James and they're willing to drop a significant chunk of change change to do it because they're number one supporting someone who they love and respect 
and they also want a quality piece of kitchen cutlery. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. such a neat thing because it used to be that the, the people that had the money to do that were so much older. They, you know, these were people that were in their 50s, 60s and 70s because they had dispen- um, disposable income. Whereas now we're seeing people in their 20s and 30s and 40s being able to go and buy, you know, a $750 knife and or buy a handmade, uh, you know, set of kitchen cutlery or kitchen tools. I think that we're seeing this uh, kind of transition where more and more of that is going to become the norm. Yeah. And it's going to employ a lot of people and it's going to give a lot of artisans and craftsmen the ability to make a living for themselves. Yeah. And James is an excellent ex- example of that. Brian, you're an example. Such a, a great, awesome oh. example of that, being able to do that from, from jump, from start, you know, going from a retail job to diving in with both feet. I think it's, it's definitely something that we should take notice on because I think over time, you know, we're going to look back on this as sort of an artisan revolution. Yeah. You know, we're bringing you know, back that craftsman. <laughs> Yeah, speaking of that, let's talk about your forge build and and how, how you decided it? you decided that you were going to just go with the quarter inch steel. And that in my opinion is such a good move because yeah. the problem with most forges out on the market right now is the 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 wall of steel and then the insulation is lacking so bad that they are they're like a year year long product that you're going to use and replace in a year. Yeah, my forge in particular is one of those cheaply made, you know, massly made pieces of shit that is right now very much breaking down. <laughs> well, then you move just a, a very simple example that I was thinking about is you moved from having to build a table to put your fucking forge on to just selling legs. You know, it's like it's beefy enough where, um, you know, you don't need to go through all this other shit. You know that the case that it comes in is sturdy enough to do whatever the hell you would ever want to do with it. You know, just simple things like that that to me always make a big difference. The the Forge project is super interesting because there's it's just like the Grinder project where you have a whole bunch of people that have made them themselves. And and it's because that market exists because to get a really decent forge is a lot of money. I mean, if you want to go out and purchase a forge, it's a kind of a a really good quality forge. You're looking at thousands of dollars and the parts to build one is not that expensive, but you have to build it correctly. And so I went down the whole rabbit hole of learning how the plumbing works and the, all of that and figured that out. And then um, the chamber, which is, is, the most important part, I think, is it, there's so many different levels of thought, but it's basic physics, right? You need to contain the heat. You need to be able to keep the heat inside and not have it radiate out. And you need to be able to do that in a way where you can have evenly distributed heat. And then also the shell around it is uh, you see a lot of guys building forges out of old propane tanks and old um, like uh fire extinguishers, things like that. And it's because it's just easy to gain access to those things. My take on this is, is I just like the revolution, buy all this stuff on Amazon and eBay, buy your steel cut parts from me. It assembles in one day or less. This will go together in probably a couple of hours. um, As long as you have the ribbon burner and all that put together. 
and you have like a basically have a forge for life um and the whole thing unbolts it comes apart so you can swap the bricks out as they start to deteriorate and you can swap out the liner and all of that now there are people out there who like make their like manufacture the ribbon burners are you thinking about getting in you know with them to have them you know build a ribbon burner that specifically fits into your forge um i my thought on it was is that i i'd like to keep it all in house if i can but the um there's there's definitely room for collaboration on this like clark uh, makes these amazing ribbon burners that are actually all steel there's no refractory which i find really interesting um but the the just like the revolution, I wanted to give everyone options. So uh, I'm going to design and fabricate a 3D printed mold for the refractory for the ribbon burner itself, and then that mold, because you only need it once, will become like we'll make a whole bunch of them, obviously. But we'll do what's called a pass around program, where if you decide you want to build your own ribbon burner, um, you'll buy the plans and maybe some of the pieces and parts to the forge, but somebody will just use that uh that 3d printed form for the ribbon burner refractory once it's cured they'll pull the form and they'll drop it in a box and send it to the next guy so that he can do the same thing um, whether or not that'll actually work i don't know uh, but i'd like yeah, to try it cool. um, rather than you know try to print thousands of these or whatever Man, I, yeah yeah well there's, i reached out to you ways to do it i reached out to you about that and just thinking uh, I mean, hell, I can't imagine. First of all, I can't imagine the feedback you're getting because even my dumbass, who's never made a fucking forge in his life, is emailing you, messaging you about yeah. fucking how to make it. I love it, that, you know? by the way, Ben, because <laughs> because here's the thing: there's no way I could know all this stuff. So right. I'm like, just like when James is calling me and telling me about the kerosene trick and all of that, there yeah. there are so many people that have built forges. Yeah. And the and the and I'm getting awesome dms messages emails i mean dude the the the, what i discovered was that this project just like the revolution brought a bunch of smart people together Together. and they all started messaging me with their experiences and so i know i'm on the right path initially i thought well this might just be another like you know project that i do one time and maybe it doesn't go anywhere there might not be any market for it i don't know I now know there's a huge market for this. We have so much interest in this and yeah. it's because of the modular functionality of this. So if you can imagine that one sidewall where the ribbon burner goes in, that can be made to accommodate just about any size ribbon burner and it can made be made to accommodate Venturi burners that are put on an angle. So, you know, we can we can morph this thing without modifying the overall design of the forge. We can actually change the the propane and fire delivery system inside of it by just swapping out that one side of the forge. Mm. So it's it's and I've and like I've got guys that are messaging me um, that built have built hundreds of forges and are. they're looking at this going, why didn't I think of that? Mm -hmm. And that makes me so feel so good. That's when you know, that's when you know, (laughs) that's when you you know that, that I, you know, I made a good decision moving towards this project and doing it. And I'm not not trying to like say I'm like a genius or anything. I'm just saying that I had this, I had this problem that I wanted to solve and it's the exact same path I took with the revolution. 
yep. and I solved it. And then I solved it for a bunch of other people too. So it's cool, man. It, I, we, we had mentioned infinite craftsmen a while back and he oh, set out he's this a classic year. example of this. He oh, is amazing. That guy, the fucking guy, the boys and I were laughing our asses off yesterday morning. He, he used to do it pretty regularly and he does it scant uh smattering now but he does these finite fridays <laughs> and it's hilarious if you haven't seen it it's infinite craftsman all one word on instagram <clears throat> and he has a a story highlight called hashtag finite friday <laughs> and it's like the dumbest shit he's like he's like welcome to finite friday today i'm going to show you how to plane wood and he chucks this piece of wood shaped like an airplane. <laughs> He's like, there you go. I just planed some fucking wood. <laughs> like, but he set out, I think it was around the beginning of the year, maybe the end of last year. And he, and he said, I am challenging myself to design, produce, and bring to market 100 products, right? And he's probably at 50 or so products already. And he's got one that he's putting some value in and he's uh, throwing it up on Kickstarter, starting a Kickstarter campaign, and it's called the Frog Pod. And it is the coolest little thing. He 3D prints them out of the flexible filament. And it's got three legs and really kind of small and magnets in the in the like hands of this thing. So imagine short little legs coming three short circle three short circles surrounding another circle with legs attached. Anyway, go to his feet. And then these magnets attach to shit, right? And he's got a quarter 20 bolt coming through it like you would uh, have on a camera tripod. So anything that attaches to that quarter 20 bolt can then be stuck frog pod style to anything metal in your shop. So he's attaching GoPros to it. He's attaching all this shit to it and just chucking these things around, you know, like frog pod, frog pod, frog pod. Uh, it's, but it's brilliant. It's a it, brilliant piece of equipment that he's, it is. he's made up, man. I, 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 I appreciate so his simple. work so much. It, it is. And he's yeah. doing it. Um, he's doing it in a way where he's being totally transparent about it. Yeah. That I guy's going to be a millionaire. Him. He's going to yeah. be a millionaire. No I chatted with him uh, the other day, and uh, and I specifically asked, I, you know, I said, what, what was the turning point or what was the deciding factor for going with a Kickstarter campaign versus trying to sell it outright on your own site kind of a thing, right? I said, I have designed a few things, never probably anything that I would move to a Kickstarter. I said, but I've always kind of wondered what, you know, what makes it worthy? And he said the same thing that I probably would have said. I was curious what he was going to say, but he said, it's the utility, right? It solves a common enough problem and it fits sort of the audience or the demographic of Kickstarter, right? He's like, it's not really a maker kind of a thing. It's more, just, you know, that Kickstarter-y, gimmicky kind of use case. And he said, that's ultimately what was the deciding factor. But he said, what's incredibly interesting is he said, I have designed now over 50 things this year, or whatever the number was. And he said, this one of all products that I've designed probably solves this, like doesn't come close to solving a big enough problem in his mind but he's talked about it more 
and he said just simply giving it more attention giving it a clever name throwing it around his shop yelling frog pod frog pod you know (laughs) and all this shit he had adam c design a logo for him and he said just that simple act has made it catch enough attention to where i think it's going to do pretty well so talk about your stuff people (laughs) that's it now uh we are going to run out of time real quick i've got two pieces of business that i need to discuss very quickly um number one is our sponsor for today's show and future shows is maritimeknifesupply.com lawrence lake over at maritime sponsors every single episode for us and the good news is, is that the, I don't know if you guys remember me discussing the knife build project yeah. that uh, we talked about. Lawrence is on board with that and has loaded us down with a big box of stuff to make Love a it. maritime knife supply knife. And we're going to do a collaboration on it. He's put in everything we need because the concept here to bring value to our sponsors is that we're, especially with Lawrence, is that. We want to remind everyone that Lawrence has everything you need to make a knife or make a project. So he, he you is go to his adding website. stuff like every day all too. the time. I'm every like, day. holy hell, this guy has everything. I From got a box lane. coming uh, myself of some copper uh, bar and sheet stock and brass bar and sheet stock to play around with on the shop bot. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Good, good, good. good. Because the, the, all of this kind of comes together uh, with the point of that you will be able to do a project from start to finish using maritime knife supply. So, uh, make sure you go out there. And if you buy something from Lawrence's website on maritime knife just make sure you tell them in the notes of the order that you heard it on the work for it podcast and that you're buying from him because of what we, we are, uh, giving the information we're sending out to the ether. So. We need to get with him about getting some sort of a promo code. Well, I, we discussed Ooh. that, and um, there's, you know, from a business standpoint, I don't know if it makes sense yet. So okay. we're going right. to, what we're doing now is we're testing the waters to see how much traffic that we can drive towards his, yeah. his website and see what we can do. And in the future, <clears throat> it might work out to where we'll have our own promo code. But hey. uh, yeah, that's not, I don't think he really does that with anybody. I think it's all just kind yeah. of yeah. I was going to tell folks too, um, I was chatting with him the other day, just looking at the uh, bar stock and stuff that he carries. And the other thing I'll mention, and I, you know, I, if you know of something that you want, I would reach out to him, even if you don't kind oh, yeah. of see it. His network seems incredibly deep in terms of what he can source and what he's willing to, to you know, he's got, he's got some pretty uh, vendors with some pretty deep uh, inventories. So if you yep. got something specific, that's up. how we got connected is I needed a specific type of belt and he yeah. was able to go and negotiate it and get it for me. It was like I, the, my normal vendor in California couldn't get them anymore. So I went yeah. to Lawrence and he actually went to me, came to me and I said, Hey, I need this. Can you get them? And he's like, yeah, I think, I think so. And he came through. All right. Oh. And one more bit of business is to tell our patrons how much we love them for supporting hey. the work for it podcast. We now have 48 patrons if you can believe this 48 48 patrons and i am going to read very quickly because i have about one minute before my entire staff walks in this door everybody's (laughs) name that's on this on this list 
Marcus from MW Steelworks. Mark Vanderwerf from 118 Blades. Mark, the Vander Sander man. We appreciate you. Justin Miller of Florida Man Forge. Devin and Dustin O'Hara of The Art of Craftsmanship. Noah Bloomberg of Entiat River Forge. Michael Nye. Jamie the Squid, which is also known as Jamie Blow. Eric at Overall Makerworks. Bob Ryan. Brigham Kundell. Scott Wilkerson of Phoenix Works. Keith Drennan, Blackthorn Concepts. Bob Brian Hooten of Hooten Knives, Jason Moss, Mark LeBlanc, our man in Canada, Ken Kimna, Crafty Man Forge, James Hunsberger of Hunsberger Pocket Knives, Cardoso Knives, just bought a hammer from him in Portugal. I appreciate you, buddy. Knifemaker.at, I'm sorry, knifematerial.at, Moonshine Leatherworks, Brian Absher, The Working Hands Podcast, Ryan Coakley, Carol Ann Jeanette Racine, Oxford Blade Co., Lawrence over at MaritimeKnifeSupply.com, Richard Beck of BecksArmory.com, Jared Weaver, Leon Shanks of Two Bird Playworks, Dennis Terrell, Dennis Terrell, yes, I love Dennis, uh, Thomas Moberg of TMO Knives, Donnie Dulovich, Bruce G. Carlson, Maximus Knives, our man Neil, Brad Troxclair, Echo Blades, Jared over at Echo Blades, Nate Walpole of Walrus Steel, Zach Byrne of Burn Blades, Full Steam Designs by Chris Powell, Matthew Angel at Ad Knife Works, Wesley Crumb, Benjamin Mullins, Matt Bicker, Dustin Yahima, Tony Mural of UK Knife Maker Supplies. And here's our two new. We have two new patrons. Two newbies. Jason Ballbow. You remember? Hey, or, I'm, ball, I'm, ball, I'm ball, sorry. Ball, I'm sorry. I said it wrong. Jeremy. Jeremy Ballbow. Right? It's like Ballabal. Ballabal. And get this. A cousin who I have never met, this is a Ooh. long story that I don't have time for, but a cousin I have never met, Ira Housewert, okay. who was born, uh, born six months after me in Colorado. Killer. I had never met him before. He saw Ron's poster up at Kilroy's. You knew of I'm, him, though, or no? No, no, no I did not know and, him. And truly related. That's cool. We are, we are definitely related. Well, the so, name like housework. <laughs> yeah, it has and get, to be and good. get this. He's a blacksmith and a knife maker. No. Oh! For 20 years. Yep. What's his Instagram? No shit. I, Ira Housework. Uh, I think Ira. it's, uh, if you go look him up, uh, I, I'd have to search for him. I'm not sure. But it's I, it's house. I think it's like, oh, let me look. Oh, wait. I think I just. No, it's, it's yeah, Ira, Ira Housework. Ira Housework. W-E-A-R-T. Yes, oh, so man. my grandfather. Integral? Wait, wait a second. Am I already following? No, I'm not following him. So, yeah, Ira, wow. with his, his last name is spelled slightly different, but my grandfather took the A out of our name. Uh, my Lord, this guy does some incredible work. Yes. Yeah. And the fact that he's our patron now, is it blows my damn mind. So, But uh, listen, guys, I don't mean to cut it short, but I got to go. Brian, cue the music. James, I appreciate you, buddy, so much. Thank you for joining yeah, us on thanks, the Work For It podcast. Thanks and, for having uh, me on. Man, dude, we got to do it again. And I'll tell you what, I know everybody out there that is listening to this is working for it. I hope you guys have a good working week, hard work, and good luck. My name is Brian House, and you've been listening to the Work For It podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Goodbye. 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 Goodb